listeners, we come your way once again. Uh, we are Calvary Central, and my name is Grandison, and I'm here with Gideon and Kwame. Okay, so today we are going to delve a little bit into something we have captioned "Conformed unto His Death." Let us remember this is episode four, and then today we are going to deal with the doctrine of baptisms. So we live in a world where everyone has his own understanding of biblical stuff. Yes. So we want to go back to the basics. We want to go back to the fundamentals. What does the Bible say about baptism? So to my left, I'm going to start with the question, what is baptism? Gideon. Thank you very much. All right. So um, baptism actually comes from the root word bapto, which is akin to um, textile. Okay, it's a word that was used in the textile industry. And the meaning is to take a fabric and put it into a dye. It's the dye is the sorry, the fabric is immersed into a dye such that the fabric takes on the color of the dye. Yeah, and that's where the word baptism came from. The the concept of sprinkling um came in the time of the dark ages where there was a ruler who was by the name Novatian. He was dying, but he wasn't yet baptized. This was in the time of the Catholic Church. But they believed that for him to be saved, he has to be baptized. And due to the way he was very ill, if they immerse him into the water, the man would die. So they had to sprinkle water on him just to symbolize that, okay, yeah, you have have been baptized. Yes, but actually, looking at the root word, it means to immerse. And when we look at it, Christ was immersed. In water, he wasn't sprinkled upon. Yeah, Kwame. Yeah. So baptism now talks about another whole play altogether. So baptism is, as you said rightly, in the textile industry. So if we remember in the Acts of the Apostles about the woman that Peter raised from the dead, Lydia, that she was a dealer in purple dye, that was actually a phrase to term someone who was into textiles. And in those days, one of the richest people or the those who were owning the economy at the time had handled the economy were the textile owners. One of them were the textile owners. And this was the word that was used often. So they had a bath and they had a dye. But then the dye had a certain color which was not washable. So once you put a white fabric or a white linen cloth inside, it gets stained by the color permanently. That is the same word you see often in the New Testament with regards to baptism. And that's the word as Sir Gideon said rightly, baptizo. And so, baptizo is just meaning an immersion. So, sprinkling and all those things are other methods. But then the main essence of baptism was to talk about we entering the death of Christ and being raised into life. That's how come you see a lot that they said they will dip you into water and come out. So now, the water was a symbolism and also was also representing a literal process that was happening in your salvation story. We are going to mention a number of things. And with the background that we've been given about baptism, I think it will be very, very important for us to pay attention at this point. So we want to delve into the kinds of baptism. So number one, we want to deal with the baptism into his body. And then I want us to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So let me read it for those of us who are listening. Baptism into his body. So now the body is talking about the body of Christ. Now the body of Christ, when you see the scripture talking about his body, it's talking about his church. And 
One of the illustrations that showed the clarity about the union between the head and the body was marriage. So you see in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul gave a powerful marriage seminar in that chapter 5. But after saying all this, he comes with a very particular footnote. He says, but these things, I'm not speaking of marriage. I speak of Christ and the church. Then you realize that like a marriage ceremony, we've been married into the life of Christ. So it's a covenant now. Just as God had a covenant with Abraham, so it is now God has a covenant with us through his son, Jesus Christ. We've been married into him. So now Christ being the head, the firstborn among the dead, the one who is now our face, our representation, just as the head is the face for the body. So that is it. So we are now the body. And then you read in First Corinthians and you read in Romans, talking about the various parts, various diversities, various ministries coming together. That talks of the church in various denominations and rankings coming together to form one unified agenda. And that is pushing Jesus as the Christ to the world. So now, baptism into the body is that union now we come into as a result of now believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So now the unifying factor here is the spirit. You get it? So that unification there comes by the spirit. Then you realize that Paul was now showing that regardless of your differences, by the essence of the one spirit, we are one body. Just as one spirit is shared in one body by various members, the same way to we share an essence of life from the head, which is Christ, through the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. So this is how come denomination doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. Whatever. That's all that Paul was stating here. So if you look in your New King James Bible, you see the heading there, unity and diversity in one body. So now we coming into the essence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we are partakers of that one body. This is how come isolation from the body is a dangerous reality. So we now have to partake. So that's the essence of the baptism into the body. Mr. Gideon, when when Christ was dying on the cross, we were all in him. Okay? Christ did not die as one. He died as, as many. When he resurrected, we resurrected together with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the, the body of Christ came into being on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit, how they were in the upper room. Yeah, Acts, two, Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was, was fully, fully come. come. They were all gathered together in with one accord. And suddenly there came as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. You see, then the corporate or the organic union was formed. Christ, which is the church or the body of Christ. And yeah. the 120 um, people were members of its infantile body. So in First Corinthians 15, we see scripture say that except a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it mm-hmm. abides alone. You see, so while he was on earth, having the human body, mm-hmm. there was no corporate body. There was no body of Christ. Yeah. But when he died, now he yielded forth much fruit. Exactly. Good. Exactly. You see, and that's how come we become a part and just as um, Kwame rightfully said, the Holy Spirit is that unifying element. Yeah. Okay, that's unified because we are all filled with this one spirit into this into one baptism. Okay. You see, to form one body of Christ. Now, and in in this body, now we are all members of this one body. It means that we share his life, we share mm-hmm. his righteousness. Christ in you. He is now your righteousness. Mm-hmm. And once we are in this body, there is a certain function or a certain part we play. 
Mm-hmm. And if each of one will come to the realization of this function, then we'll arrive at the unity of the faith. Mm-hmm. You see, because we'll all be playing our, our various parts. For instance, if I want to lift a very heavy table, now this one hand can't lift it up, but the head will communicate. There will be a com- communication that yeah. this one hand cannot lift it. Sure. So this other hand must help, you see. So there's a part we play. And when we help each other, then we arrive at the unity of the faith. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kwame, it seems you want to add something. Baptism okay. actually is a transliteration. So when we say a transliteration, it means a borrowing and a modification into another language. So the word in Greek is baptizo. But Anglicanist version of the word is baptism. Baptism. But the word means immersion. And the root word in Greek is bapto, meaning to overwhelm or to cover in a fluid. Sort of like a bath. Sort of. So that's the thing. Basically, baptism into his body is talking about the unity through the spirit. Yes. So, so the complete immersion. So you don't come, you don't come into that union with Christ part as an no. individual, then corporately you forget sure. everybody. No, sure. it is a complete coming. So the life, and this even explains why we need men mm. for God to reach us. Mm. Is because if Christ is the head and has sent something down. The hand has to receive it sure. maybe before the legs. Sure. You get sure. it? Sure. So it means that if the hand blocks the flow of blood, mm. it affects the rest of the body. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So there's this analogy. It says that where there's a defect with one member of the church, the whole church feels it, even though we ignore it. You can ignore pain, but it affects the body regardless. Mm. The same thing too with the, the baptism into his body. Okay. So uh, we are moving to the second kind of baptism where that, that very... One is very common whenever we talk about baptism, people just focus on the one that is water baptism. Kwame, kindly engage on this one. Okay, so back to the word baptizo. So now the baptizo there talks about a dipping under, sort of like taking a bath, so or submergence or to make fully wet, right? So the word in all its compounds and derivatives was common, it was very common. Baptism in water is about a show, so you are now telling. So you are now telling the world about your coming into Christ, right? So you are now being baptized into his body. Mm. Mind you, this was the same baptism in water that John was also doing, but it was representing something else. That was the baptism of repentance that John was preparing the way. In fact, you know that baptism was a strategy for John. Yes. Because if you read the Gospels, you notice that Mm. after Jesus Christ was baptized and the Holy Spirit opened and heavens were opened, you realize that then it says... John stopped baptizing. Then you read in later accounts that it was disciples who were actually doing the baptism, not John anymore. You understand? That's because John had that revelation that the one whom you baptize and the heavens will open will be the Christ. Mm. So baptism Mm. was his method of finding who Jesus Christ was. Sure, sure. And even in the spirit, because he was a prophet, he knew who Jesus Christ was. When the heavens opened, he found that confirmation sign and that was it. So then he left the baptism work to his exactly. his disciples. Mm-hmm. So baptism was now a way of clearing the way, preparing you the way of the Lord, mm-hmm. as Isaiah said. Mm-hmm. And he said, I am the voice crying out in the desert. That was what John was saying. Mm-hmm. So he was the voice crying unto repentance for the day of the Lord. That was the day mm-hmm. of the showing forth of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So the baptism into water was that outward show that I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf. Now in our modern standards, it's also that outward show that now I am also fully 
telling the whole world, everything, mm. all and sundry, that I am committing myself to God. I've been baptized in Christ and in his death, and I'm not partaking of it. So this is just something, a small side note, that mm. it doesn't mean that you don't have to go and then look for a water baptism, a pool and baptize yourself. Be baptized. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Mm. So Well, I think popularly people say it's the death barrier and then the resurrection of Christ, the water baptism day. Usually say that that yeah. is what it represents. Yes, yeah, so right. that's what it represents. So we want to quickly veer into the Holy Ghost baptism, and I think our brother Gideon will engage on that for us. When we talk about the Holy Ghost baptism, we, now we can see this in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Now it says that I'll read from verse four rather to eight. Now it says that and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith He, Ye have heard of me. Verse five. For John truly baptized with water. But he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, O thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. Verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Then in Acts 2, the Holy Ghost comes upon them. And all of a sudden, Peter, who once used to be timid, now begins to preach the gospel when 3,000 people are saved. If you read the following chapter, he preaches again and 5,000 people are saved. You see, so the Holy Ghost comes and when he comes to indwell the believer, Mm -hmm. he comes with power. You see, how how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power. You see, so the Holy Ghost comes along with power. He is the power. You see, the driving uh, force. The driving force. This is about the baptism. And any any Christian who has received the Holy Spirit has this power in him. Now, it's one thing to receive power and it's one thing to activate it. The power can be in you, but it can be dormant. Exactly. Exactly. You you see. So you have to activate this power to walk just like Jesus walked. Mm. Well, that's very incisive. I hope we've enjoyed it up to this point. We want to veer into the fourth kind of baptism and these ones might be alien to some of us and that is the baptism of suffering the baptism of suffering is also what i like to call the trial by fire sometimes we hear it as trial by fire because jesus christ also gave the promise that as they persecuted me they will persecute you too sometimes persecution is not the cutting off of your head it's sometimes let me describe persecution in this way persecution is that general pressure or that worldly pressure that you receive as a result of you being a Christian. Some can be extreme to the extent that you lose your life. Some can be a bit mild or something, but no persecution really is mild because it will attack you on all three aspects. It's the attack on the physical, the attack on the spiritual, the attack on the emotional or the mental realm Mm, as a result of you being a believer. And Jesus Christ said that because you believe in him, you will go through this persecution. So that baptism of suffering is not that immersion into his sufferings mm. as he mm. is. So you see it in, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, 8, up to 12. It says that what? We are hard-pressed on every side, but yet not crashed, perplexed, but not in despair, mm. persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, yeah. always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, mm. that the life of Christ, that also may be manifested in our Mm -hmm. body. So now you see that that is what is talking Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. 
we partaking of his sufferings mm. now giving room for the life of Christ to be made mm. manifest because it's often been said that the mm. blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and mm. also the greatest anointing is revealed in the persecuted. So that baptism of the suffering is just a way of Jesus letting us know that now as much as he's been given the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to manifest him to the world, you will be given the opportunity under fire to mm. manifest him in the world. So that's what it's like. Your take. Baptism into his suffering is um, suffering for the building up of the body of Christ. Just as he said, it's it's a suffering of persecution. And I read a scripture from First Peter 2, 21 to 25, where it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, you see, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So Christ suffered for us, and he has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin? Verse 22. Who did no sin? Neither was God found in his mouth. Verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again when he suffered. He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Christ suffered in the body, so that, and he has left us that example, that in the ministry of the gospel, there will be times where the world will come at us with persecution mm, yeah. and we must withstand, mm. you see. And the more we stand, you see, the pressure brings out what is within, you see. Mm. The adversity brings out the life of God, as um, Kwame rightfully said. Mm. Yeah, thank so you. Something like it authenticates what is inside yeah. of you. Yeah. It's For there's a treasure. For yeah. as the scripture says, there's this treasure yeah. in a thin vessel. How would the world know that there's a treasure unless there's something that yeah, doesn't that. demand that the sure. treasure comes out? Sure. But then I want us to engage these two topics. So you do 30 seconds both. So I'll go with Sergidion. You pick the John's baptism of repentance. And then right after you're done, then you give us a significance of baptism. Okay. So I spoke on it a bit earlier, but I think you can take off from sure. what I left off. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So John's baptism. Now, John's baptism was um, had as a reason. Now, John's baptism was to prepare men for the coming of the Messiah, you see, and for the coming of salvation. Now, what John's baptism sought to do was that it sought to make men know that men must go through a certain burial. Now, man is full of his own will, okay, and self-government, and is also alienated from, from God. So John came as a herald that man must be buried so that there will be an end to his own will and his self-government. Now, John saw these guys, um, the Pharisees, and then he called them ye brood of vipers. The question is, why did he call them ye brood of vipers? Now, notice that in this chapter of scripture, he was actually baptizing people when the Pharisees came to him. And he was saying that ye brood of vipers. He was referring to their serpentine nature, mm. you see, which was revealed in Eden as being very crafty and cunning. You see, and that was the state of the Pharisees. That was how they were like, you see. And that is the nature of man. It says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the son of man be lifted up. In other words, Christ Jesus was likened to that serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. He became sin for us that who knew no sin. He became sin for us, you see. So he bore the serpentine nature on the cross. He became sin. So in type, he became sin so that we will become the righteousness of God. So that nature was taken from us and we're given the nature of righteousness. Yeah. So that was John's baptism. Yeah. Okay. So the significance, Kwame. Yeah. So the significance, taken back from 
John's, I'm piggybacking on what he said. So John's baptism now was with repentance. So now baptism is actually an immersion which signifies the burial of the old life. I'm taking the process of baptism sure, too. Sure. So there is an immersion into water which signifies the burial of the old life. Galatians mm. 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's I who no longer live, but Christ that lives. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who mm. loved me and gave himself for me. Then there's a raising back to life. So baptism now, like the Holy Communion, talks of the death, the burial, and the raising up of Christ. This is how come the resurrection and the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ are a core tenet to our mm. faith because baptism encapsulates all the three at once. Mm. The sprinkling or whatever, for me personally, I don't think it's a concern. As long as there's an understanding of these three tenets and that immersion into our lives, then we now know that, yes, we are on the right track. So that coming that partaking of the death in our everyday lives of the burial in our everyday lives of the resurrection in our everyday lives and of the um, glorification of jesus christ in our everyday lives mm. that is the uh, significance of mm. baptism mm. and that is the core of it yeah lovely listeners that is the significance of baptism so we end here for today we'll come back your way same time next week so do follow us on our social media handles, Calvary underscore central, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. See you. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Milk Factory. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Have a lovely week. We love you and God bless you.